20 square blocks. 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 20 square blocks. Square. Well, well, if you just come and sit on the seats here, and I'll get us going. Are you one? Yeah. yeah. My, my name's Dr. Phil Roberts. Um, I've been involved with the Mechanics Institute for more than 20 years. Yeah, your car key. Sorry? You just dropped it. Oh, the key. <laughs> I wouldn't want to lose that. That's my car key. Situated in the cultural heart of Ballarat CBD is the Mechanics Institute, a beautifully restored historic building. I pretty much walk past it every day, but on this particular day, I decided to walk in, sign up for the tour, and find out what goes on inside. Right, well the first thing we normally talk about is the term Mechanics Institute, because it's a confusing term. When you say mechanics, you generally think of car mechanics or engines or that sort of thing. But uh, in the 19th century, it was a more general term. So it, if you were a skilled tradesman or a skilled artisan, you were a, called a mechanic. So mechanics institutes basically were for the training of the working man, the forerunner in a way of TAFE, you know. So uh, that, that's how the mechanics institutes came about. And I hope that's not disturbing the noise. It's a little bit loud, but I can't do much about it there. They're chatting. They'll probably stop in a sec. Um, what happened was a, a professor, George Birkbeck, gave lectures in Glasgow in about 1820, and that's said to be the beginning of the Mechanics Institute. Um, in Australia, it first came to Van Diemen's Land in 1826, and this one is 1859, so the first decade of gold in the 1850s. In the 19th century in Victoria, there were a thousand mechanics institutes. So often you go through little country towns and you see mechanics institute written up and you'll just see there's little halls all over the place. Cobwebs here. Yeah. Now th this is uh, our, what we call our courier basement. Um, all of we, we have all the Ballarat couriers since it started in 1867. So but there's some sort of special control of the temperature in here. Not at the moment. Right. No. Just come round here. What's uh, what's that noise in there? Uh, an exhaust okay. fan, because um, it, it, the, the air is not that brilliant. No. Th this is, uh, these are all volumes here. Uh, you see the Argus and so on. So what's the Argus exactly? Well, that was a newspaper, like the, it uh, was a forerunner of the age. The Argus, Melbourne Argus. These aren't in too bad a condition, some of these books. Yeah. In the end, this, this area is... Uh, we've got a, a small government grant, 200000 just to get it started on getting the place right. But to get it done properly, we'd have need a couple of million. And it might end up being um, some sort of museum or um, some oh, sort of... Just showing us one of these? Just opening oh, yeah. That voice there belongs to Rex Brereton from Creswick. He was my tour buddy for the day. Well, 1918's during the war, May, May and June... 
people might uh, say that I should have gloves to to handle it, but see, it's it's all gone mouldy. Wow. But wow. with the books that I've written, I've done a, a lot of research in these newspapers. Like it's for me, it's been fantastic doing Ballarat's history. Were you wearing gloves then? Uh, no, look, I tend to break the rules. <laughs> this is really tiny writing. Yes, very tight. And that's yeah. the way it was done at that time, you know. Fit it all in. Yeah, so you'll probably find that there'll be a write-up on the war. New Alliance, self-supporting policy, bread for Britain, Australian wheat atrocities in Finland, how the battle began. It's got a map here of the German front. The German front, the where, it was. where it was. Now, this is when um, Monash was just getting involved with the war and taking over the Australian forces and the Allied forces. But he, he was um, much more careful than the British generals in the war. The British generals were often known as butchers because they just put men into the front of the cannons. Whereas uh, Monash was very strategic. Just towards the end of the war, he was actually knighted on the battlefield by the King of England, which was most unusual. And they had a dinner after the war and Monash was sitting up on the head table near the King and Billy Hughes at the time was the Australian Prime Minister. He was sitting right towards the back with a couple of foreigners either side of him that couldn't speak English. It's always said that um, Monash was never promoted to the rank he should have had because Hughes was so upset with the way he'd been treated and um, he should have been a field marshal. Do you think that was true about um, Mon um, Monash Hughes. promotion? Yeah, well, yes, because towards the end of World War I, Monash was given the job of taking over the Allied forces and was very strategic. And so there was not so much loss of life as had been in Fromel in 1916. 5,000 people were lost in the one morning marching into machine guns you know, and the generals, they were using 19th century war tactics that just didn't suit cannons and machine guns. Now the graffiti there is very fascinating. That would have gone back to the early years. That's been done with some sort of lighter or something? I think, it, like, well not a lighter, but I think it's fire. candle wax. Candle wax. Yeah, I think that's someone's, or if some people have been uh, graffitiing the place, you know, making say? their mark. A couple of stars. <laughs> uh, 18, what's that one that's got a date on it? 1815 or 35. Yeah, 1815. Uh, would, would have to be, uh, it's have to be after 18, this would have been built in 1860. Discovered, was this the something discovered 18... <laughs> Maybe they're giving us history yeah. lessons. It might be a seven or an eight. What's the anthrope? Is it the anthrope yeah. discovered? The, um, some guys from uh, Federation University have been looking at this graffiti and got very excited by it all. Took photographs and came and checked it out. Yeah. <laughs> now down here, we're now under the footpath. Oh, okay. And I'm not sure possibly wine was stored in there at one stage and this area when on the plans when it was first put here in 1859 
it actually had a plan for a restaurant in that space in there, but it, it never actually happened. Uh, if it was a restaurant, you would have had a steps down from the street okay. down here, but uh, that, that never happened. So would have this been the footpath that we're walking on no, now? No, no, so the, the footpath's up there. That would have kept on going, wouldn't it? These uh, no, no. I th well, look, I don't know about the other tunnels. There are, there are meant to be tunnels under Lydiard Street, but I haven't been beyond this. I haven't been into other ones, but I've, I have heard uh, people say there are other tunnels. If somebody told me that... During World War II, the Americans put tanks underground here. Oh, okay. And, yeah, so that if the Japanese had attacked, they'd they be able had, to. They could have, yeah, had a, a secret stash of weapons mm -hmm. to bring out of the woodwork. That sounds like a bit of a rumour. Didn't they sounds have? Sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> um, but anyway, but you know, it's always surprising when you find out about all these tunnels because tunnel warfare was. Yeah. In World War One, it was a major way to win a battle in some yeah. cases. You could put a small tank in there. Had to be a very a small tank. <laughs> this is our this is our current lending library and. Rosemary, do you want to call out? <laughs> Rosemary's our librarian, but Rosemary can tell you a little bit about the library. Oh, you don't answer that. <laughs> Understand that. Oh, well, oh, well, to be continued. Yes. Anyway, this is called the Batten Room. Now, you can't see from where you're seating, but if you just stood up for a second, you'd see a photo of a guy over on the wall there at the top, and that's William Batten, chief librarian of this place and he held that job for 51 years. When they were looking for a replacement, they advertised it and there were 36 applicants and they gave the job to his son, Harry Batten. And Harry was the chief librarian manager for 41 years to 1951. So for 92 years, father and son ran this place. <laughs> so they almost got the hundred years between them. Here's our librarian Rosemary. Right. Well, this is a rather unique library because it runs basically for our members, not what, in other words, the books that we buy, not always what the people say are the best books, but we get ones we think our readers will read. Um, we have a lot of golden oldies, but we also get all the latest releases, whereas a lot of other libraries would uh, throw out the, um, the older books. And the library's split up into two. We've got, as you know, the Heritage Centre next door, this one here, and we run a couple of book clubs as well. So that's basically how we function. And to join the library is a subscription. So it's $60 a year or if you're on a pension, it's 50 And uh, we get a newsletter once a month, which tells what's on at the Institute and what books we buy. And um, we will often, you know, if, you, if you're after a book and, or a new author, we will try and help you find some, some new books to read as well. So a bit of customer service as well. What's the advantage of this library over the, the public library? Well, I think actually if you're really a reader and just want good stuff to read, I think you'll find that this library is better. There's a lot of books here that other libraries would throw out that we would have. 
And another thing that we do do a lot of, a lot, a lot of modern writers now have a series where they'll have the same characters in the books. We number ours and you'll find we've just about got every, if there's a series, we've got the lot. Uh, you'll find that the, that the other libraries will not have that. So we're just a little bit differently with how we work. So a few little different things. Okay. Perfect time so to get out of here. You got out of it. <laughs> So this is the most impressive room for sure. Um, well, this, this space here, uh, we call it Minerva space. The reason it's called a space is multi-purpose. But again, it's had a real history. This is part of the original 1860 building. Um, oh, hi. From behind the curtain on the main stage, Sam McColl, the venue manager, popped out to introduce himself. So my role includes um, creating events. So I, I was one of the producers for the recent uh, Bushfire concert. So Ballarat's Best for Bushfire Relief, where we raised $20,000. Um, and then just, yeah, seeking out events to bring to Ballarat. Um, so yeah, just, I think the BMI plays a really important role in the, B, uh, in the Ballarat arts, uh, arts scene and arts culture. And the fact that, you know, we're our own venue, we're owned by the members, we, we run ourselves, we're not a council venue. So it means that we can do a lot more stuff, we're not restrained as much, we can do a lot more events and things that um, maybe council venues wouldn't be, wouldn't want to take on. Um, you know, it's one of the, I guess, big three in Ballarat, you could say. Um, it's really exciting and really fun to bring some awesome events to Ballarat. Who are the other two? So obviously Her Majesty's and probably the Mining Exchange. Um, so they would be the three in the triangle here in the centre of town and then obviously you have Civic Hall and um, Trades Hall and all of those other venues as well that are a bit smaller. This room's for our bigger events. We can have up to 290 people in this room. Um, so we put a, live, a lot of live music on the stage, um, a lot of movies. Uh, and hopefully we'll be holding a lot more movies here in the next uh, next year or so. We are starting some discussions with a few different people about yeah, getting getting this room a lot more active. Yeah, great. Enjoy the rest of your tour. Thanks. Thank Sam. you. Yeah. So just go back through the history side of it. When it was a cinema from about 1920, and the floor was sloping or raked, it had four different names. One time it was called the Britannia. Then it was called the Vegas, then it was called the Odeon, and then finally in the 1990s it was called the Sturt and had cheap films here, $5 films. And then about 1995, the region took out a 10-year lease and that was just sitting here for 10 years with the old theatre seats here, not Cheesy used. Buggers. But they, that was to cut back the competition, so, you know, from the cheap films. So they just... They bought the space. They had this, the lease on the space for 10 years, but they didn't use it. So when was the region built? Um, I'd say probably the 1930s. So this was a place showing movies before the region? Oh, yeah. There, there used to be, um, I think, probably four, maybe five different theatre cinemas around Ballarat. There, there was, um, I think even Her Majesty's for a time had film. Yeah. Um, this is called the Minerva Room. Minerva Space. How did a Roman goddess 
Minerva get launched onto the top of the building? Well, Minerva is the goddess of learning. I thought it was goddess of war as, as well. well as, <laughs> yeah. as well it's also, also war. So Barak uh, College, that's their symbol too, Minerva. So why wasn't it the Greek goddess Athena, the same goddess? <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious. You're being cheeky. I am being cheeky. But I, but I, I suppose I'm perplexed of how a Roman goddess or a Greek goddess ever got involved in the um, early colony. If you go back then, the, 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 a lot of the people who were on the board were uh, wealthy and they were um, movers and shakers in Ballarat. So a lot of people who owned the businesses and I guess they were trying to impress. So that's all I can tell you. Any other questions about here? All right, well, we'll keep going. So if you find yourself walking past the BMI like I did, do yourself a favour and go in. It's well worth the look. Now, this is not a paid endorsement, but I recommend you become a member. You get the first three months for free. Thanks to those from the BMI, Phil Roberts, Rosemary McInerney, Sam McColl, and of course my tool buddy, Rex Brereton. Music by Ryan Goodwin. Check out virtuallyryan.com. Editing by Ricky Cheno. Additional material written by Anne Murison. And thanks to H-Studios. I'm Ben Plaza, and this is 20 Square Blocks. Mm-hmm.